we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello, good morning. How are you all doing? Um, my name's Chris. And uh, just want to well, add my welcome to uh, John's to you. And uh, it's so good to gather together, whether you're here for the first time or the hundredth time, it's always good to meet together. And so here's a question for you this morning. And I think it's a profound question that all of us have. And that is, are you happy? Are you content? Are you flourishing even in life? Um, we're looking at the Beatitudes and a fundamental question in the Beatitudes is exactly that question. Are you flourishing in life? And um, it's, a fu- it's fundamental really to the whole of the Beatitudes, which is uh, some nine different statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, which we've been looking at as a church. And uh, we want to build our own little kingdom. That's who we are. It starts from the very beginning of life. We are people that want to build our sphere of happiness and joy. We want to build our own little kingdom. And we see this in, in little children. In fact, in babies, they start to cry, don't they? Wow, wow. We, we don't teach them to cry. They just cry, wow, wow, I want this, I want that. Mummy, I want this. And, and they start to grow their kingdom and their, their sphere of the things they want. And, and you see it mainly in Sainsbury's or in... Tesco's or in a toy shop and, and they cry and go, wow, wow, give me this, give me that. And, and as parents, we pander to, oh, lovely little precious Johnny, here's a lollipop. And, oh, his kingdom expands and, oh, I know how to get a lollipop. And then you become a teenager and then you really know what you want and you know exactly what you desire and you know how to manipulate your parents to get everything that you want and your kingdom continues to expand and increase and you're ambitious to make sure that your kingdom is your kingdom and your sphere just grows and we all do it and we think that more happiness more sex more house more car more finance more likes on insta or facebook or insta or uh, twitter or whatever is going to help us to grow our our kingdom of joy and flourishing most programs pander to the kingdom of self and you can be a superstar and the whole world owes you and uh, the world will, needs to adore you and look to you and, and love you and, and just admire your ability and your singing and your gifts and the whole world needs to understand you and applaud you and congratulate you and, and if they don't well then you're a victim and you need sympathy for, in your kingdom to help you to grow and increase and, and the world needs to pander to your needs and, and to make sure that um, you're not being offended or, or hurt and, and we need to go, oh, they're there and, and it's all about you. And do you know what? It can happen in the church too. And um, church can become about increasing my kingdom of joy and my kingdom of happiness and so we come along and we kind of assess church by, oh, I'm not sure about that song we sang. And the guitar was a bit out of tune today. Oh, the preacher didn't say much jokes today. And he, he didn't pander to me and what I need. And we can start to think, do you know what? Preachers can be the worst. And they, they can assess a Sunday morning by how many people were there compared to the previous week. Or how many people came up to after, afterwards and said, oh, that was a good, good job, my son. You preached it today. And, and, we can, and we can do that. And we can all we start to build our own kingdom and we can think, oh, this, this is about me and I want to I increase my kingdom of joy. And so 
We say, Lord, let my will be done. Let my kingdom come. And it's no wonder that everyone in our society is kind of in a passive-aggressive war. Leave, remain. Like, this gender, no, this gender. This type of sex, no, this type of sex. This thing, that thing, and it's all over. And it, all the root of all these things are pride and ego. And the solution that God gives, God gives is that there is a greater king and a greater kingdom. And the way that we access is that is that we say, your will be done and your kingdom come in my life. We give up the right to our own kingdom. We give up the right to our own lives and we hand the keys to Jesus. We refuse to put ourselves in the middle of every situation, but instead we place God in the middle of every situation. This morning, I've entitled my talk, We Give Up to Gain. We need to give things up to gain. Matthew chapter 5 says this. We're going to read it every single week. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This week we're going to focus on this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This morning, as we carry on this series in the Beatitudes, um, we see fundamental answers to this key question, how can I flourish as a human being? And through these nine statements, Jesus gives us the answer. And it's not that, um, it's not really what anyone expects. And especially this key part in verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is outrageous statements by Jesus. And in order for us to understand it, we kind of need to get ourselves back into the mind frame of Jesus' hearers, how they would have heard it back in the day. Let me give you a little bit of context before we kind of get into the passage a bit more, because it's surprising. At the time of uh, Jesus speaking, there were a group of people called the Jews. And they had a long history of knowing God and walking with God and seeing him make amazing promises. Amazing promises on their lives from um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way through to Isaiah and David and Jeremiah and, and others. And at this time, the people of God, though, are an oppressed people. They're under Roman rule. And the Romans are, are kind of ruling how they do everything. And they are expecting that a mighty warrior, a Messiah, is going to come. He's going to be sent by God and he's going to um, overthrow the Romans and give them their own land take them into a geographic place where they can have their own kingdom and where they can flourish and know joy. For them, they know, that they know about this land that they're going to live in and it's key to who they believe they are. It's this geographic place called Israel. And they would take the land by force. It was about being powerful. That was key. And then also, they were expecting that this mighty warrior would lead them into it. As some of you would be aware, even now, this topic is, is just up for great debate. 
and there are wars that take place to this day over this region of the earth. And back in Jesus' time, it was no different. And what happened was that there had been great wars, great famine, great persecution. And so when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, he was speaking right to the people. They knew what it was to mourn. They'd see people dying all the time around them. And then he goes in and says, hey, blessed, not are the, are the powerful, not are the mighty warriors, not are the uh, people who, um, I don't know, uh, try to take something by force, but blessed are the, the meek, the humble. They will inherit not just the land, but the whole earth. These promises were, were kind of wrapped up into centuries, centuries of understanding that those people would have known. Uh, some of them comes from Psalm 37. It's a key psalm. In verse 9, it says this, For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 11, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Verse 29, The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes and takes this Jewish understanding of geographical land and reminds them of God's first promise to Abraham that his people would be a blessing to all nations. That it was never, the promises were never just about one people group or one place or one site, but it was about the whole entire earth. Jesus has come to be a blessing to the whole world. And... Um, so he changed, he, he kind of takes all that connotation and all that thinking, he says, you know what, if you want to you inherit the land, actually no, blessed are those who are humble and they will inherit the whole earth. There's so much more than, than just one little part that I'm after. In this moment, as Jesus was speaking of land inheriting earth, you know what, the Jews were split. And they were split into different groups, there was kind of a spectrum. You had some Jews known as the Herodians, and they were people who... They thought that the best way to kind of get the land would be to compromise, to just fit into society around them, to allow all their nature and their culture, the way they do things, just to merge into the rest of society, to, to compromise in all sorts of different ways so that they could just be at peace and one day hopefully get there. That was one side. Then at the other end of the spectrum, we had the zealots. And they, they wanted to take it by force and be powerful and, and they wanted to overthrow the Romans and, and have uprising and, and, you know, see this mighty warrior come. And, and then you had all sorts of things in between, all these different factions. And then Jesus comes and he brings this bombshell. And he said, no, no, it's, it's none of that. He, he says in these verses, he focuses on humble and meek. He says they, they're the ones that inherit not just one land, but all the lands. Not just one place, but all place. Not just one people, but all peoples. And we will see all people be blessed and come to know God. And so instead of the land, he talks about inheritance of the whole earth. Instead of force, he talks about humility. Not compromise, not anger, but humility and obedience. And then instead of a warrior king, he himself reveals himself as a servant king. As one who comes to serve and not be served. The bottom line, Jesus said, is that to gain the kingdom, to inherit the earth, you need to give up. Give up trying to be your own king of your own kingdom. You need to give up to gain. And God wants this church, that's you and me, to be a flourishing church, to be a flourishing people who will gain great fruit, who, who you know, will inherit the earth. He wants us to be a people who are who are humble and obedient to him, who are walking in his ways, who are growing in relationship with him, 
who are after him in relationship with him. And, you know, there's nothing natural about that. That's not something you can just do. It's a supernatural thing. It's what the Holy Spirit um, does in your life and helps you to view yourself and your attitudes are shaped by what the Holy Spirit says to you. And we've said it many times, but these, these Beatitudes, they build from one another. And so it starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, when we are people that are poor in spirit, we know that we have nothing to offer God, nothing to bring to God. There's nothing that we can come to him with. We are far off, dead in our sin, beggars at best. And we are cut off from his blessings, but by his grace, he breathes life into us and he rescues us because we're poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit are also those who mourn. And we, sure, we mourn over the death of loved ones. And I, and I spoke about personal testimony of mine a few weeks ago, but we also mourn the state of our sin. We mourn the state of our society, the state of our world. I ask this question, that if tears were ink, how stained is your face for our community? How stained is your face for the lost ones? We sing, break my heart for what breaks yours. Well, God's heart is breaking for our community. He wants to see many come to know him. And we need to be people that know his heart. And this week he says, blessed are the meek, because they see themselves as God sees them. They're not arrogant or proud. They don't look down on themselves either, which is kind of reverse pride. They don't think less of themselves, but they think of themselves less and they're obedient to God. Blessed are those people because they will inherit the earth. You know, just like a plant, it's possible to think that the most important aspect of plant tree, whatever, is what, how it looks on the outside. Does it look prim and proper? Do you know the most important aspect of a tree is not how it looks on the outside, but how deep its roots go? Because that's the thing that's going to stand the test of time. Being meek and humble is not about looking pretty in the sunshine and crumbling in the storm, but it's about having deep roots, standing firm, regardless of what the outward appearance might look like. It's about making sure that when the storms come, that we stand firm in God's soil, in his, in his word, deeply trusting in him. It's these people, they will inherit all the promises of God, all the promises that he's laid out for centuries, and they will inherit hope in this life and the next. They will inherit his promises, the, the, the earth. Great will be that day when Jesus returns and there's no more sickness and dying and death and decay, and when there's a, there's a, he makes all things new and those people dwell with him forever. It's the humble, it's the humble and the meek that will inherit all of this and be truly blessed. There is application throughout the whole of the Sermon on the Mount that shows us that this is the case. And um, I think it's best illustrated, actually, this main point through the rest of the sermon. So giving up to gain, let me, let me show you what I mean. Because uh, all of this stuff that Jesus says, it would be possible by the end of today's talk for you to have a tick list of things that you, you should now do based on what Jesus says. And I believe that these statements aren't a a list of rules for you to follow. No, no, what they are is they are statements of who you are in Christ when you've put your trust in him and you've come to know him. And they're only possible through the power of his Holy Spirit. We need to give up stuff to gain all sorts of different things, but certainly to gain God and his kingdom. Let me, let me give you some examples. In the rest of the sermon, the first thing it goes on about is saltiness. We need to to gain saltiness, we need to give up compromise. Verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You see, your salvation, what Jesus has won for you, it makes you salt in the earth. It makes you salty. You have an amazing ability to purify the world around you. And, but if you lose your saltiness, if you lose the beautiful gospel in your life, then if you just play around with what the world does, if you kind of think the way the world does, then you kind of end up losing your saltiness and you're good for nothing. Just like the toddler or the teenager, you think that the way to more joy is to have more money, more sex, more power, more control, more success, more house, more whatever. And then what happens is you start thinking about these things. How do I get more money, more power, more sex, more control, more house, more whatever? And what happens is then you start to lose your saltiness. Suddenly, to see kingdom advance in your workplace or in your neighbourhood, it costs you because you might... It might cost you sex, it might cost you success, it might cost you fame, it might cost you Facebook likes. And so you start to back away a bit, you start to lose your saltiness. Throughout the Old Testament, when the people were in the land, um, through judges, we read that when they were going with God, when they were obedient to God, when they were living righteously, the kingdom advanced. But when they backed away from God and they started being disobedient from God, when they started compromising with the societies around them and the other people groups around them, what happened was that God, God dealt with them and, and they, they, they had less land. They, the kingdom had like decreased. And, you know, in the same way that if we're going to see God's kingdom advance, more people come to faith to know Jesus, we're going to see uh, him be at work through people's lives, you know what, we need to be obedient. We need to walk in righteousness with him. We need to be people that give up compromise. God says, blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who give stuff up. For they will not just inherit a plot of land, but all the plots of land, the whole earth. To gain transformation and to live in the power of the spirit, to be a city on a hill, is to, not, is to lose compromise, is to give up compromise. So stop playing around with sin. Sin. Stop playing around with the things that draw your devotion away from Christ. Stop playing around with all those things that kind of hinder you. Don't be like the Herodians and compromise and just be in, you know, just allow everything you are, all your values to be transformed by the culture. No, we need to be salty people. We need to bring flavour to our community. We need to bring Christ. We need to, to bring his values and his love. We need to be immersed in the wonderful good news of the gospel. We need to gain saltiness by giving up compromise. We need to gain grace by giving up legalism. Verse 17 says this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. You know, there were people around Jesus saying, Okay, Jesus, right, we've got the Ten Commandments. What do you say? How do we add to that? What, what more rules do I need to tick off? And Jesus says, No, I'm not scrapping those. You need to have a righteousness that's even better than the Pharisees. And when people would have heard that, they would have been like, what, what are you talking about? Like the Pharisees, they like, they, their standards are right up here. How can we possibly match that? And Jesus, he just raises the bar even higher. Because you cannot live the Christian life on your own strength. You can only live it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there's no place for boasting. There's no place for law. You don't have to look religious and pretend. Because we're all beggars before a throne of grace, wonderfully received together and made new in Christ we're not called to live it with like a spirit of legalism we're not called to that 
Because what happens, that just causes pride and ego to inflate. It causes us to kind of stand on a platform and to look down on those that maybe haven't matched up to our same means. Do you know what that means? That means that there's freedom in God. There's freedom to fail. There's freedom to try and mess up. There's freedom to... Um, Try, you know, try things out. And it means that when you go and you share your faith with someone, they say, no, hey, that's not the end of your evangelistic career. When you come and bring a word on, on the microphone, you bring some scripture, you bring a prophecy, and you kind of stumble over your words and you're inarticulate, that doesn't mean that you, oh, that's the end, you can't ever bring in anything again. When you, you, know, want to, you, you try something out, you, you try on the worship team and you just get the notes wrong, that doesn't mean that you're struck off the worship team. No, no, because we're, we're by grace, grace. It's grace means when you mess up in your life and you think, oh, well, I'm a life group leader. I couldn't, possibly, I couldn't possibly tell people about that sin in my life. No, of course you can. There's freedom in God's kingdom to fail and mess up and to come and receive forgiveness and to receive joy. And, and we help one another and we strengthen one another because we're a royal priesthood together. There is freedom in God's kingdom for that. You need to know that this morning. You need to know this. We all, everyone messes up. We remember that we're all beggars on the same platform coming before a God who is gracious and merciful and kind and loving. And so we give up legalism. We give up tick lists that help us to feel superior to others. We receive freedom and forgiveness and grace from an almighty God. You gain grace by fighting giving up legalism and the legalistic showcase of model Christianity and of being the kind of wonderful family. You know, what it means is that uh, actually, when you have this freedom, those people that are from broken backgrounds are accepted and welcomed into our church. Those people that are, come from divorced backgrounds are accepted and welcomed. Those people from single backgrounds, those, those people from uh, same-sex backgrounds, those people from any single part of society are welcomed into God's presence to come and enjoy his, his gospel and his good news that they can receive. It's by God's grace that we know him. And we need to remember that as the people of God, and so we abolish legalism. God has fulfilled that and we trust in him and we recognise that his, his bar is even higher and the only way to come before God the Father is to recognise that we need to repent, that it was only ever by grace. And so we, 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 don't, we get off our pedal stool, not just look in the part and we just come and recognise that we embrace everyone, everyone in. We need to gain reconciliation by giving up procrastination. It says, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Jesus is talking in this context to uh, Christians, brothers and sisters who are falling out in the church. And he is saying, you need to be quick to sort out your issues in your life, and be quick to reconcile, because the reality is that we procrastinate. We procrastinate in all sorts of different areas. We procrastinate by, you know, we get offended by someone, we procrastinate to reconcile with them and to, to either forgive them or ask for forgiveness. We, when we see uh, one of our brothers and sisters, one of our friends, dabbling in areas of, of sin or issues, we think, oh, well, I'll just leave that to Chris and the eldership team to sort out. No, no, we're a royal priesthood together. Go talk. Don't procrastinate. Be reconciled. Help them. Be, be with them. Be part of them. Not only that, but it's easy to... Um, to procrastinate on giving up sin. You know, it's really easy in the Christian life to go a long way in the church, to go a long way on, the, on your walk with God and still not have handled sin issues in your life. And so sometimes you can then procrastinate and think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not hurting anyone. And, and I believe God is saying, no, no, come on, 
reconcile yourself to me. Give, give those things. Stop procrastinating. Talk, talk to each other. Reconcile with each other. Have conversations with each other. You know, you probably need to do that with me. I, I say it all the time. I will offend you. If you're here in this church more than five minutes, I will offend you, I promise that. And it's important, you know, you're, I want to encourage you to have a good heart attitude. Come and talk to me and I'll, I'll say sorry. I will. Because I know, I know, because I'm human. And so will the others in this church. And so let's, let's be people that reconcile, be quick to reconcile. We need to give up lust in order to gain intimacy. In verse 27 it says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, to gain purity and relationship with God, to gain this intimacy with God, but also to gain intimacy in your marriage, then you need to lose, you need to lose and give up lust. You need, to, you need to discard it. Sex is great. It's amazing. Do you know God's invented orgasms? Can I just say that? Yeah. Whoa, let's get an amen. He did. I'm not even joking. He did. He invented sex. And it is good. And it is wonderful. And he invented it for marriage. He created it for marriage. And it's just an amazing thing. And now we live in a day and an age where it's, you know, lust is everywhere. It's just a few taps away on your phone. A few clicks on your internet screen. A few, you just walk out of your house. Walk down the street and you'll see billboards and posters and, and turn on the TV and sex is everywhere. And the encouragement is that we need to give up. We need to give up lust in order to gain intimacy with Christ. Don't live a secret life. It's easy to think that, well, no one's going to get hurt, but the truth is that your relationship and your intimacy with God is damaged. Your relationship and your intimacy with your spouse is damaged. And you might think, oh, well, I'm not married yet. Uh, but what happens is your perception of what a, re a sexual relationship is like, uh, what intimacy is really like, that is damaged. And so then when you come to marriage, it doesn't, then, it doesn't meet up. Because your view is, is warped and it's damaged. And so it doesn't match up to, to the experience that you've had online. And so you damage your future relationships. And this is classic Jesus. Because he, he takes Old Testament rules and raises the bar. He says, don't even think of someone angrily in your mind because that's like murder. And he says, turn the other cheek and walk a, an extra mile. And don't even look at someone lustfully. He raises the bar all the time. And you think, well, that's impossible. How can I possibly do that? And yeah, the reality is you can't. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to look at God's grace and all his goodness. And when you, when you prefer that to, to lust, that's when you can start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and walking and saying no to these things. And uh, we, we need to be people that grow in and gain intimacy with God by giving up lust. That's what we need to be people that do. And... Uh, yeah, because the reality is, is that if you start making it a religious list or a duty, you're always going to fail. We need people, people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that are looking to God, looking to grow in relationship with him. Mourn, those people that are poor in spirit, that recognise they have nothing to offer God. Those people who mourn with the state of our society. Those people who, who come before God humbly and say, Lord, have your way in my life. Who give over the keys to their kingdom and say, your kingdom come. We've got, to, yeah, we've got to give up lust to gain relationship, to gain intimacy in our relationship with each other, with our spouses and with God. So if you want a better sex life, stop looking at porn, guys and girls. If you want a better sex life, stop reading magazines about other people's relationships. If you want a better sex life, stop looking elsewhere, look to intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. 
We need to gain integrity by giving up oaths. Verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We say stuff like, oh, I swear on my child's life. I swear down, I didn't do it. And it's like, well, don't, no, don't swear on those things. Gain integrity by giving up oaths. Don't lie. Be simple. Do what you say you're going to do. That's it. Simple. You, need to get, you can gain family by giving up identity. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we just love those that love us, then we're no different to anyone else in the world. The mafia, gangsters, everyone does that. But if we're going to be salt of the earth, we're going to be people of God, then we're called to love those who are unlovable, called to love those who cannot love us back. We're called to be ready for action and get out into people's communities and into the gardens on Saturday. I want to be there. I want you to, enjoy, to join me. You, you can find out more on Church Suite and you can talk to us afterwards. And we're going to help people who, and help their gardens and they're never, ever going to be able to give anything back to us. And that's okay because we're, we're called to love the unlovable. And on June the 1st, for our community fun day, we're going to get out into our community and we're going to love the people in our community. We're going to give, and they're never going to be able to give anything back to us. But that's okay, because we're called to love the unlovable. And we gain family by giving up our, our kind of pride, our ego, our sense of self-preservation. Or oh, well, what if I'm out there handing out some free burgers and one of my friends from work sees me? I might be embarrassed. Yeah, you might be. And that's okay, because we're giving up our identity to gain family, to gain, to see God's kingdom grow. That was, that was chapter five. Throughout chapter six, Jesus carries on and... Um, in chapter 6, verse 4, you can gain inheritance by giving up money. In chapter 6, verse 14, you can gain forgiveness by giving up unforgiveness. In chapter 6, verse 18 and 20, you can gain prayer by giving up food. And you can gain peace by giving up worry. You know, he talks about, you know, look at the birds of the air and the, and the flowers in the field, how they're clothed and, and how they're fed. And, and we can worry about stuff all the time. And, and Jesus says, hey, you can gain peace by giving up worry. You can gain sight by giving up judgmentalism. Don't look at the... Uh, speck in someone else's eye but worry about the plank in your own eye we can stop judging other people and, and start accepting them and, and encouraging them in and, and we start giving up our judgmentalism by gaining sight and looking at people how God sees them and then towards the end uh, towards the beginning of verse 7 it says you can gain entrance by giving up Easy Street verse, chapter 7 verse 13 says enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, the Bible doesn't say that all roads lead to the Father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Matthew summarises it by this narrow road. The wide road is easy to follow, it's easy to go down, but ultimately will lead to destruction. The Christian life is not easy and no one ever promised it would be. Certainly not Jesus. In fact, he encourages us to pick up our cross daily. He, later on, we'll see in the Beatitudes that he, he says, you will be persecuted on behalf of me. It's like, this is, this is the reality of the Christian life. Jesus knew this and he encouraged us to follow him anyway. And so whoever loses his life, gives up his life on behalf of him, they will gain it in Jesus. We have... Um, lost our life in order to gain Jesus's life and that is the gospel and it's a narrow road and it's not easy to walk down but ultimately in order to inherit the earth to gain the kingdoms of to gain the keys of the kingdom to gain Christ what that is is to give up your life 
It's to lay down your life. That's what, it, that's what the gospel is. It's to give up your selfishness, your pride, your ego, your way and invite Jesus into your life and to say, Lord, from now on it's going to be your way. I want to pray for your kingdom to come in my life. You need to give up your worldview and allow God's view of the world to, to transform your mind and transform the way you think. That doesn't mean giving up logic and intelligence like some people would say it is. No, no, actually you can keep all those things. But it means saying, God, I recognise that you know more about my life than even I do myself. You know, you don't even know the number of hairs on your head. God knows them all. He even knows the next thing you're about to think. He knows the hour of your death. He knows the steps of your life. You don't know any of that. It is possible that God knows more than you do. And becoming a Christian saying, God, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I see what Jesus did on the cross. I see how he rose again. I, I see how there is so much good to be gained in him. And I look at his life and I think that is a life that I, I, I can aspire to. And, and I ask you, Lord God, that you would help me to put my trust in Jesus because I know I'm never going to match up to his standards. And so I repent. I say, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Father, for messing up. Please forgive me. I choose to put my trust in you. That's ultimately... Becoming a Christian is learning, is the starting place of giving up. Giving up our life and trusting Jesus. It's not saying my kingdom come, it's saying your kingdom. God's kingdom come in my life. At the very end of the sermon, uh, Jesus talks about gaining rock-solid faith by giving up disobedience. Chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice and he's like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain comes, the streams rose, the winds blew and batter it and it beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, they're like a fool who built the house on the sand. The rain comes, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it falls with a great crash. Be a wise man who builds the life on the rock. That's why we sing, I'm going to build my life on Jesus. He's a firm foundation. The foolish man is, heals all this and says, you know what? Oh, nah, it's all right. You, 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 you have it your way. I'm going to go my way. The wise man hears Jesus' words. Hears the Sermon on the Mount and says, Lord, I can't possibly match up to that. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give my life to you. God wants us to gain his kingdom, his life, his will, and he challenges us to give up all sorts of different things. I wonder, what are you willing to give up this morning in order to gain Christ? There must be application for every single person in this room. Must be. And the amazing thing about these Beatitudes is that we don't have a God who is far off or far removed or unwilling to understand our struggle and sin. No, instead we have a God who understands exactly what it means because God came in the person of Jesus and lived this earth. You know, the, ultimately the whole Bible, all of this is about Jesus. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, there is a man who was building a vast kingdom and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of kings. He had a vast empire and by some estimates, one of the largest in human history. It's widely thought that he built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And he had a dream and he calls all his wise people, all his advisors to come and interpret the dream. And he says, if you can't interpret it, then I'm going to kill you all. So I say, okay, all right, we'll interpret it. Tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. 
And in a remarkable twist of events, he says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you the dream. I want you to tell me the dream and then to interpret it. And they can't do it. But Daniel, Daniel steps up. And Daniel, who is a man who loves God, who knows God, he is able to describe what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And he says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a mighty statue. And the head was gold, and, and then it was silver and bronze and clay. And, and uh, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, and you're the head of gold. And Nebs is probably like, yeah, yeah, that's right, I'm the head. That's me. Yeah, you, you got it, Daniel. This is good. But Daniel carries on, and he says, but what happens is that your kingdom's going to pass away. And another kingdom that's actually inferior to yours, silver, is going to come. And then after that, another kingdom that's even inferior to that is going to come. But there's going to be this rock, and this rock is not made of human hands. It's going to come and smash all those kingdoms apart. And this rock will grow and be a mighty mountain. It's going to fill the whole earth, and that kingdom is going to be an everlasting kingdom, and it will never fail. And that's what, this is this picture. And then in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaks, speaking to his disciples, says to the disciples, who do you say I am? And some of them say, oh, you're Elijah. And others say, oh, you're John the Baptist. Others say, you're Jeremiah. But Jesus says, yeah, but who do you think I am? And Peter turns and, and says, you, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to come and, and do everything. And Jesus responds and says, blessed are you, Peter. Because God has revealed this to you. You didn't know this. God has revealed this to you. And on this rock, not Peter, on the rock, on the statement of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, on that, Jesus is going to build his church. He's going to fill the whole world. He's going to take the land and it will never fail. And death and Hades and hell are never going to overcome it. He, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The words that Jesus is the Messiah, this Son of God, that is the rock. That is the firm foundation that Jesus is, is saying on this expression of faith, on this thing, this is how I'm going to build my church. And Jesus, he will do that. He will build his kingdom and his kingdom will be an inheritance for all the people that put their trust in him and nothing will prevail against it because he is the servant king and he is the humble king. Ultimately, he is our greatest example. And so in Philippians 2, it talks about how Jesus gave up much to gain all of this for his people. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He gave up lots, all the riches of heaven. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, made himself meek. By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus is building his kingdom, he is building his church. Jesus is at work and there is an inheritance to be, to be found in him. There is joy to be found in him. There is flourishing to be found in him. And Christ died. He died for sin once and once and for all in order to bring us into a relationship with our Father. The application of all of this is not to do more. It's not to start a list of all those things that you're now going to give up in order to gain Christ. No, it's to look to Jesus and grow in relationship with him. And you will start to give up those things. But first you need to look to him. 
First, you need to grow in relationship with him. First, you need your roots to go deep into him, into his word. You need to start to trust in him. You need to start to be obedient to him and grow in your relationship with him. And as you do that, you will flourish. As you do that, you will know joy and peace. Even in the midst of all the storms and all the trials and all the things that batter your life, you will be able to stand firm on the rock, on Jesus. So I'm going to ask you again, are you flourishing in life? Are you flourishing? The Beatitudes show us the only way to flourish is to recognise that you're poor in spirit, sunk without a trace. Give your life to Jesus. Mourn for the state of your sin and the state of sin around you. Repent, trust in him and be humble and obedient to God. Start to live your life on him. Read his work, soak into him, trust him. If you want to flourish and know deep joy, you need to dig into him. I wonder, what is God speaking to you about this morning? Let's get the band back up. And uh, <laughs> apologies, I sort of uh, lost track of time. But that's okay, because I believe that God's speaking to you this morning. And... Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a guy called Guy Miller, who leads our family of churches, he came and he brought a prophetic word. And he, he didn't know this, but he, he talked about this church being a fire station. And uh, he, he didn't know this, but obviously we know there's a big fire station, isn't there, in the middle of Guildford, right, connecting all the, all the main rows right in the centre there. It has prominence, it has place, it, has, it can impact the whole of the community. And, and it's, it's a key point. Everyone knows where the fire station in Guildford is. You, you drive past it, it connects, lots of things. It has great influence. And, and, and I believe that that was what God wants us to be as a church. But in order to be there, another key part of Guy's prophetic word was that every single one of us needs to climb down the fireman's pole. We need to learn what it is to give up pride, give up ego in order to serve our community in order to serve our neighbours and ultimately to serve Christ. We need to know what it means to give up in order to gain all that God is calling us to. Maybe you need to give up your life today and put your trust in Jesus. Maybe for you, you need to give up some sin and hand your life again over to Jesus. Maybe you need to stop procrastinating, reconcile yourself to Jesus or to someone else. Maybe you need to give up lust and gain intimacy with God the Father who wants to love you and breathe His Spirit into you. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.